Good morning, Midland Free. Good morning. Hey, if you weren't here earlier for the greeting, my name is Pastor Jeremy. We're glad you're here to worship with us. I want to pray as we continue to worship. Father, we're thankful for your son, Jesus. We're thankful for our salvation and all that it means and brings. In his name we pray. Amen. I want to take a little risk this morning. It's kind of fun to do sometimes. I know that we have some children in our midst because our most faithful and excellent children's ministry volunteers are taking a little respite before the new year kicks off. And we are glad to have a family service today. And so what I want to do in a very careful way, I was trying to figure this out, but I think I'm actually going to do it. Yes, this is the way I'm going to do it. I'm going to come, maybe. (laughs) I want to come down right here in front in just a second. And what I need is at least 10 children, including all three of my own, and maybe mine don't count. I don't know. So at least 10 kids. And if there's 11, don't worry. I'm not going to send number 11 away crying. I'm going to be careful. So just take a random gander or guess and send me some little kids up front because I got a very simple question to ask. So kids, meet me right here. 10, go. (laughs) That's good. Thank you. All right, this is perfect. Excellent. All right, so hi, everybody. My name is Jeremy. Um, I have one question for you, and I promise I don't really think there's a wrong answer to this question, and I want you to answer honestly like nobody else is listening, even though I'm going to hand you a microphone and everybody else is going to be listening. Okay? But I want you to answer honestly, and I'm not asking for the, like, adult answer, like, if... So the question is going to be this. Don't answer right away. Don't, don't answer. I'll hand you the mic and then you can answer. But think about this question. And my question is, if you could be anything you wanted when you grew, grow up, and I'm talking anything, and I mean cool, I mean something that would really be awesome and fun, what would it be? Okay, hold on just a second. <laughs> hold on. Okay, keep that in your brain. And, and I want to make it clear, I'm talking awesome and cool. So if mom and dad are like, you should be a lawyer, you should be a doctor, you should be a dentist. I'm not even talking about those things, no offense. I'm talking about something that's cool. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> if I'm talking about something, anything, anything cool, like a lightsaber designer or something like that, anything. All right, you're ready to go. Stand up, young man. What do you want to be that's cool when you grow up? Um, I want to be up there playing the drums. Yep. I like that. Okay, Georgia, you're next. Georgia, come up with something good. I want to be a professional soccer player. Oh, yeah. I like that. Okay, young man. All right, what do we got? I want to be a scientist. All right, I'm hearing some applause on that. You got, yes, sir, come on up from, from behind. What do you want to be? I want to be, be a famous basketball player. A famous basketball player. All right. Young lady. I'm going to be an astronaut. An astronaut. Perfect. I want to be a singer. Yes, a singer. Young man, you hold it, but give it back. Okay? All right. I want to be a professional gamer. A professional gamer. Okay. Your parents did not tell you that one. <laughs> All right. What do you want to be, young lady? A princess. A princess. Wait. 
Aren't you already a princess? No. Okay. Oh, yeah. Everybody wants to be Elsa. No. Okay. All right. It's good. Elsa's good. All right. Who do you want to be, young lady? Um, a ballerina. A ballerina. All right. We got some pretty good examples here. Are there any others? Any others? Going once, going twice. Okay, young man, what do you want to be? I want to make video games. Make video games. Okay, you make them and he'll play them. How's that? All right. Oops, you already had yours. I'm going to give somebody else a chance. All right. Scuba diver. A scuba diver. There we go. Those are some pretty good examples. Do you guys want to know what I wanted to be when I was a little person? Not an astronaut. You wanted to be a pastor. Not a pastor. Nope. I wanted to be a trash truck driver. <laughs> okay, hey, I didn't say that about yours. Now, hold on. Hold on. You're right. A professional soccer player is not boring, and you probably, yeah, have a lot more benefits. But let me tell you why I wanted to be that job, and then I'll let you guys go sit with your parents and color and draw, but pay really good attention during the awesome sermon, okay? <laughs> All right. So I wanted to be a trash truck driver because I liked being outside, and I thought a lot of the jobs, you have to be inside, and you have to sit at a desk, and you don't even get a window, and you're stuck in a cubicle all day long. It's kind of boring, amen? Yeah. Okay. And so I'm like, hey, there's somebody who's just coming down the street. Check it out, Georgia. Listen to what I'm saying. It's awesome. Trust me. Someone's going down the street and they get to hold on to this ed, you know, this really cool bar and they're flying down the road. And I mean, it's better than being a dog in the back of the truck. You're just like, woohoo, flying, waving at all your friends. It'd be so fun. Now, I know in Midland they don't do that anymore because they got the fancy arms and things like that. But back in Canada where we live for a little bit, they still did that. And there had to be some young, healthy dudes because they're literally just running alongside the truck, grab the thing, throw it in, jump on. And they were not stopping. I thought it looked so fun to be a trash truck driver. But here's the thing. I didn't grow up to be a trash truck driver, obviously. And one of the things, here's an inside scoop for you. Here's one of the things. Well, let me ask you, let me ask you a question before I give you the inside scoop. How would you identify a trash truck driver? How would you know a trash truck person? How? What would be a sign? They kind of smell weird. Okay, there's one. All right, let me give you a couple of others. You guys are doing great. One might be a vest. I'm going to go ahead and answer the question. That was just a trick. It was a trick question. I'm sorry, I'll answer it. They, they have a vest. Maybe it's shiny. It protects them so the cars will see them. How would you identify a police officer? How would you know they're a police officer? What? Yeah, the hat, the car, the badge, the gun, you know, all that stuff. How might you identify someone at Dow? They've got something, you know, hooked onto their belt. It's a little stringy thing. It has their face. And it says, Dow owns me. Something like that. (laughs) Hold on. Yeah, I know. I know. So there's ways that you can identify a person. And what happens is, what happens is, when you, here's the inside scoop. When you're an adult and you do this job like, all the time, like all the time. Then all of a sudden you begin to take on this identity and you feel like that's who you are. So they say, who are you? And you say, well, I'm a doctor. I'm a lawyer. I'm a trash truck driver. I'm a police officer. I'm a teacher. Why? Because that's where you spend the majority of your time. And that's where your identity, you think, begins to come from. 
But what I want to show you this morning is that all of us have an identity and our identity comes from somewhere else. And it's not what we have or what we do, but it's who we are in relation to Jesus, okay? And so I'm going to show you how that works this morning. So when you go back and you sit in your seats, you think about really cool things that you want to be when you grow up, and I'll tell you how this all works together. I want to whisper something. You want to whisper in my ear. Okay, go ahead. Okay. It's a secret. Nobody else heard. All right, go back to your seats. I'll catch it later after church. All right. So here's the thing. Who are we? What do we do? Where do we find our worth? This Christmas series, in some sense, is trying to answer that question for all of us. We saw that it began in Genesis, the human story, our story, your story, my story, with the Garden of Eden, a perfect place, perfect people, all is well in the world. And then we sin and mess it up. But even though we sin and mess it up, God in his goodness promises to fix it. We broke it. He's going to fix it. We shattered it. He's going to put it back together again. This is the promise of Genesis chapter 1 or chapter 3 after the fall. And so as we talked about worshiping God and planning Christmas and his big picture narrative, the story for all of humanity, what we saw is that it began with a promise But then that promise didn't just float out there in the sky in some nebulous way, never to um, descend to humanity. But instead, that promise was brought to us through a particular family. That family was the first family, the family of Abraham, the Jewish people. And through that line, the Messiah, through, through the anticipation of the Davidic king and the coming kingdom, was to be brought to the entire world. And then after the promise, we had the family, and then we had the forerunner. And the forerunner who comes right before the Christ saying, prepare the way, is saying, you brood of vipers, here's this thing. Watch out. There's snake. There's sin. There's evil. Repent and believe in Jesus. The axe is laid at the root of the tree. We chop the wood to help, help you remember the coming judgment. And yet, even though judgment is coming, the sun will rise and God's salvation will shine forth. And then we said as a result that there is hope and there's this announcement that brings the hope and the babies leap in the wombs for joy and recognize one another. And then on Christmas Day, the first Christmas, Christ the Savior, the Lord, is born. And we see that each of those terms are absolutely essential for the development of God's program throughout history. That he's a Savior in response to sin. That he's Christ, the promised Messiah, who that promise came through the family line. And that he's Lord, he is God. Overall, And so we watch, and this is no accident, it's an intentional developmental scheme that's exploding on Christmas morning. And as a result of that explosion, the next thing that happens is worship. Worship. And so today, the final sermon in this series is going to be the first worshipers. We had the first promise, the first family, the first forerunner, first announcement, first Christmas, and now the first worshipers. And what's happening is these worshipers in a... Somewhat similar way, but not exactly the same as you, have gathered together to worship God. Now, they're going to the temple. We're coming to a building. This building is not the temple. We are the temple. So there's some differences in old and new covenant or promises. But the thing is, these people came to worship. These people, in particular, Mary and Joseph, Jesus's parents. And it's interesting to note, by the way, that Mary is offering a sacrifice, which means... 
She needs forgiven. She needs a savior. In fact, she calls her own son her savior, indicating the fact that she, like the rest of us, is guilty of sin and need of salvation. And so these two, this faithful couple, Jesus' godly parents, it's okay to be raised in a Christian home. Jesus was, if you, well, you know what I mean. Jesus was raised in a godly home. Um, and his parents were coming regularly to worship, as was their practice. And so they come to the temple, they present their sacrifice. They, and this is important because Jesus can't be Messiah unless the law is fulfilled. I'll show you how this works in just a second. But here's the thing. Everything that Jesus is doing and is being done to him is fulfilling the law. So he's taken to the temple on the eighth day. He's circumcised in, in accordance with the law. He's named and everything is being fulfilled just right as the law requires. So Jesus is moving through this process And we pick up in Luke chapter 2 on the eighth day of Jesus' life when he's brought to the temple to be named and circumcised. And at that time, Luke chapter 2, oh, and by the way, you'll notice on these slides as they pop up here, there's a little NLT. Usually it says ESV. I'm reading from a different translation today, and I'm doing that on purpose because there's a number of very culturally contained nuggets in this translation, I believe, better than any other translation um, communicates the dynamic or modern equivalence, okay? So it's not as um, word for word as some of the others, but you get the idea more easily. And I chose to do that on purpose today because some of these are particularly um, wrapped in a cultural context that we would just lose. So here we go. Um, watch on the screen if you don't have this translation. No big deal. You can look it up later. Luke chapter 2. Verse 25, it says, At that time there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was a righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Now that day the Spirit led Simeon to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present baby Jesus to the Lord, as the law required, Simeon was there. Simeon took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Now, Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about Jesus. And Simeon blessed them too. And he said to Mary, he blessed both parents, but to Mary in particular, he said, the child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He's been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. And as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your very soul. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A sword will pierce your very soul. Merry Christmas. Is that what we think of when we think of the Christmas story? Because I'm, in particular, more in favor of that whole peace on earth, goodwill towards men part. I like that. 
but a sword piercing our souls? What is going on here? Well, let's back it up a little bit and see what's happening. In verse 30, um, so I'm going to roll it back. I'm going to come to that in just a second. But verse 30 says this. Um, it says, when Simeon blesses blesses uh, God and the people, he says, Sovereign Lord, in verse 30, I have seen your salvation. I have seen your salvation. Now, what is he talking about there? Jesus has not died on the cross and risen from the grave. How has Simeon seen God's salvation? Well, here's the simple answer. Seeing Jesus is equivalent to seeing salvation. When you see Jesus, you see God's salvation. If you want to see God, if you want to know him, if you want to know what he is like, if you want him revealed in all of his perfection and glory, Jesus. When you see Jesus, you have seen God's salvation. Now, as I mentioned earlier, you know, it says in particular in verse 27 that what was happening here is Jesus was being presented. You can show that slide if you don't mind jumping back. Verse 27 says that Jesus was being presented as the law required. Why do we care? Why is that mentioned? Why does scripture preserve that for 2,000 years for us to know? The answer is this. In Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, it says, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. This is the thing that controlled all things at that time. To redeem those who were under the law that could not redeem themselves so that we might receive adoptions as sons. If you want into this family, if you want to be saved by grace through faith, you cannot do it on your own. The law condemns. It shows us what's wrong, but it doesn't fix the problem. But we need someone who can overcome the law and fulfill the law and has done so perfectly. And Jesus is that person. And this passage makes it really clear. Every jot and tittle he fulfilled lined up down to the day and minute and hour. Jesus fulfilled the law and was completely exactly what we were looking for when we called out to God for salvation. Simeon recognizes that and says, aha, I see it. I see your salvation. This is it. This is your salvation perfection in the flesh. And as a result, he gives God praise. Now, here's the thing. In this section, here's what I want to emphasize. Or here's what we should take home or bring away from this. What is, so, what is the big deal? What is so exciting about that? Well, the church answer is Jesus. But here's the thing. I think, here's the thing. I think if I said to you, how many of you value Jesus? Probably many of us raise our hands. So yeah, we, we value Jesus. Let me tell you something. Jesus is not to be valued. Jesus is not to be valued. He's to be worshipped. And there's a significant difference between that. What do I mean by that? Well, we value our families. Like families are cool. We got the family pictures all up over the mantle. And we, we value our families so much that we set aside time so we can spend it with them. We value our family so much that we might sacrifice on other things so that we can invest more in them. We value our families so much that we probably value them more than anything else. And the next, what's after that? Health, 
finances, those are a big value. You value your health, you go to the gym, you eat right, you do whatever, you value your finances. All of a sudden you're trying to save and spend less and da 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 You make an intentional effort because you value something. That's a value we hold. But Jesus is not simply a mere value we hold, but he is a thing of infinite worth for which everything else could be thrown in the trash. Jesus is something we worship. We don't fall down in front of our families on our face and call them Lord. We don't say that our finances are the king of our lives. We shouldn't at least. We don't say that health is our God. But when it comes to Jesus, he sits above everything else. As a result, we worship him. His value demands our utmost allegiance and sacrifice of everything. And I know that's a lot to say. That's super high and none of us are there. But I got I to gotta hold up what the Bible affirms. And this is what it says. is Jesus is not just something we value. He is the supreme value worth more than anything else. We worship him. And worship is like one of those things that you feel in the depth of your soul. That you desire so strongly that you can't ever get it off of your mind. You want it so bad it makes you sick. You desire it. You wake up in the middle of the night thinking about it. You go to bed and you think about it. You get up in the morning and you think about it. It's your thing. And for many of us, that's not Jesus. That's something else. That's golf, guns, sports, money, cars, whatever. It's what we like to talk about because it's what we value. But do we value Jesus? Hopefully we more than value Jesus. We worship him. And that's what Simeon did. He worshiped Jesus and he sees him and he's like, here's everything. I've got it all. Now I can die. Many of us are thinking other ways. Hey, once my portfolio hits a certain amount, once my kids graduate, once my grandkids, once my whatever, then I'm done. No, no, no. This guy's thinking about one thing and one thing alone. I've seen God's salvation. I've seen Jesus. Now it's complete. Now I can die. Here's Simeon. He's a model of God's chosen servant because he knows what the Lord's salvation is worth. It is of supreme, utmost value. So the first thing we talk about with these worshipers, the one, the one thing that comes to their mind once they enter into the presence of God in the temple is salvation and the value of it. When you come to church on Sunday morning, I hope that, that will we take that moment to reset at the beginning of the service, I hope that will enter into your grid that you will say, okay, there is something more valuable than everything else I left at the door. I left that work. I left that desire. I left that need. I left it all at the door. And now I've come to the thing that is more valuable than anything else. Your salvation. So number one, we have God's salvation. Number two, what that does is it makes us God's servant. Simeon says to the Lord, now your servant can die. Now your servant can die. What an absolutely beautiful description of who we are and who we're supposed to become. Kids, you remember earlier, I asked you, what do you want to be? What is something that's really cool? Do you know what the best answer is, even above doctor, lawyer, fireman, astronaut, rock star, anything else? It's Jesus's servant. That is the absolutely coolest thing you could ever ever be it's so cool now if you don't believe me let me explain it a little bit more here's the thing i think one of the best examples in the old testament is this guy named elijah 
Now, Elijah's a prophet, and you think of like John the Baptist, another prophet, and you think of the prophet's life, and they're not too fancy. You know, they've got like one robe and a stick, and they eat funny food, and they come and go, and they live in the wilderness, and it's not exactly lifestyles of the rich and famous. On the other hand, at the time of Elijah, was this guy named Ahab. Now, Ahab was rich out the wazoo. He had horses and chariots and everything, gardens and mansions and summer homes and vacation cottages and yada, yada, yada. And he was doing great. What he said, people did. And when he told a joke, they laughed. And if he said jump, they said how high. And he thought life was pretty good. But the reality is he had this thorn in the flesh called Elijah. Elijah's always coming to him saying, hey, man, it's not right. Your king is not Jesus and you're living wrong. And as a result, Ahab hated Elijah. And he pursues him and tries to kill him. And they have a crazy relationship. Well, here's the thing. The prophet is this poor, underprivileged, isolated dude. And yet, he is more confident and his role is more glorious than the riches of kings. Why is that? It's like this. It goes back to the trash truck driver, believe it or not. Here's the thing, what I realized. When I was working in seminary, I worked at uh, UPS for a little while. And uh, I was just in the evening a clerk fixing packages and stuff that messed up. But the delivery driver, sometimes we would get a little package about this big. It would be a high-value package, so we have to do like several signatures. Like a package this big, two, three, four, five hundred thousand dollars. So we're signing off on it. And if you're signing on that, you're making sure it gets on the truck, you know, and you're not the last person who touched it. And what I realized was, is these truck drivers, I mean, they're just wearing these like brown scrubs, you know, and it's not a glamorous job. Unlike, for example, someone who's driven around in a limousine. If you're driven, you must be pretty important, right? But if you're driving, then you're not as important. At least that's the way we think about it. If you're driving, you're just the underling who's delivering the goods. But if you're driven, well, you're important. Well, in my analogy, Ahab would have been the one who was driven. He was the king. But the prophet was the one who was driving the whole thing. In our world, that's the way it is too. Here's the thing. What we have as people in our jobs, in our identities, in our whatever, is not the supreme value. Instead, the supreme value is what we carry along to deliver. The package that's in our truck. What we as Christians are is not valuable in and of ourselves, but we are valuable because of what we carry. And what we carry with us is the gospel message. And so when we show up and we deliver What we're delivering is not ourselves, but something of infinite worth. We're delivering God's salvation. We have something that is more valuable than all the kings of the world. We have this package, this thing, this person we call Jesus, who is of infinite worth. And people, when when they realize this, they receive it with joy. And when they don't understand it, of course, they reject it. But our identity, our worth is not from being driven as the king or as the CEO, but instead driving and delivering 
that which is of supreme value. So you may not have worth. You may not have value. You may not have money. You may not have skills. You may not have popularity, looks, or anything else. That doesn't matter. What you have is this value to deliver. That's John the Baptist. That's Simeon. That's the prophet. And that's the driver. So maybe, perhaps, maybe, just maybe, being a trash truck driver isn't so bad as long as you have something of value in the back of the truck. So number one, supreme value, God's salvation. Number two, our identity. Once we're saved, what does that make us? That makes us God's servant. And that is a high and noble calling. But you have to know, the higher the calling, the greater the suffering. The higher the calling, the greater the pain. And this is what we said earlier with Mary and the fact that a sword would pierce her very soul. In verse 35, here's a slide that summarizes it well. When, when um, Simeon says to Mary, hey, look, a sword is going to pierce your soul. We know what he's talking about, Jesus and the crucifixion. She doesn't. But it's very significant. And what it's essentially saying is that the whole story is not sweetness and light. That is not the whole Christmas story. But instead, the whole Christmas story says that salvation will be purchased at a very high cost. The story of Christmas is beauty, but it is also great pain. It is not all sweetness and light, but the reality that salvation will be purchased at a very high cost. So we have this supremely valuable thing, salvation, worth selling everything for. And that makes us God's servant. But we are reminded that being God's servant means that there will be suffering. Suffering included. Sometimes you see the package that says batteries included or batteries not included. The Christian package says suffering included. Suffering included in following Christ. But what it also says is in light of what's coming, the suffering is worth it. This is the way it speaks of Jesus in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the author or the founder and perfecter of our faith for who for the joy that was set before him endured the suffering, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God in heaven. In other words, Jesus obeyed God the Father through the suffering for the same reason we have to, for the same reason that Simeon did. Simeon says, okay, now I can die. I've suffered long enough. I live long enough because I've seen your salvation. He recognizes that God is faithful. And even though this thing isn't finished, God will complete his good work in us. So number one, our salvation. Number two, we are servants. And number three, as a result, we praise God. Verse 28 shows Simeon doing that. He says, Simeon took the child and placed him in his arms and praised God. You see in Luke, this being emphasized over and over again in verse 13, the heavenly hosts are praising God. In verse 20, the shepherds are praising God. In Acts 3.8, which is also written by Luke, 
He talks about the leap man, the lame man jumping up, leaping and walking and singing and shouting and praising God. And what you realize is that the great physician, the accurate historian, is detailing the account of God's work, of God being faithful to his promises. And in so doing, the only result is praise. The, the word praise only occurs eight times in the New Testament. Six of those are in the books of Luke and Acts. So Luke himself is trying to point out the fact that God, who is sovereign, which is what he was called, is fulfilling his promise through his plan to complete Christmas all along the way. And you see his salvation, you see his servants, and now you see his praise. So in summary, then, I would say this. Here's a slide which summarizes, I think, today's sermon. It's this. Planning Christmas, what did God do? This is how it worked. God's salvation for God's servants result in God's praise. God's salvation for God's servants result in God's praise. God's salvation, which is a supremely valuable thing, is given to his servants who have a high and honorable and noble calling, which includes suffering, but is worth it for the joy that is set before us. And as a result, when we get that, our lives are transformed into lives of praise. And so as you think about this Christmas time, this new year, as you're thinking what's coming up and what's gone before, I want you to put that big hat on. Think about that. Think about God's plan. Here's the thing. Because Jesus wins, we can't lose. Because Jesus wins, we can't lose. If we are his servant, if we are on his team, if we have received his salvation, then we have a high calling and God will complete his plan. And the only thing we can do in response is praise him. So let's go into the new year with that confidence, with that joy, with the hope of God's great salvation and see what incredible work he's about to do in us. Father, we thank you and praise you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for the high calling that he brings, his perfect work, and all that he does. Lord, I don't know what's coming next, and none of us do. But we're prayerful and hopeful that um, whatever you have in store, we will handle well and grow as a result. That it will bless us and change us and transform us and bring glory to you. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you for making us your servants. Lord, we pray that our lives would end in praise. In Jesus' name, amen.